0: Well, hello everyone and welcome back to our Wednesday morning Bible study. This week we are continuing the letters to Timothy from Paul. The past two weeks we have been in the book of 1 Timothy as we saw the overview of 1 Timothy and then a walkthrough of the letter of 1 Timothy. Today, for today's session, we are going to do the overview and the walkthrough of 2 Timothy together. Since we did, you know, quite a bit of introduction to 1 Timothy, uh, our introduction to 2 Timothy will be a little bit less, and which will allow us to be able to go into the text today. So, on our study guide, we have the orienting data for 2 Timothy. Of course, Timothy was a uh, son in the faith of the Apostle Paul. They had a very close relationship. Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus. Uh, over the church at Ephesus, which Paul himself was over and left it to Timothy. And he left him there, we saw in 1 Timothy, to deal with the false teachers that were there. And 1 Timothy, what makes it unique is that it was a letter to Timothy, an individual, but yet it was an overall message to the church as well. Words that would come to Timothy and would come through Timothy. Therefore, it you know, could easily almost be read as a letter to the church. Second Timothy, we see, follows that same line of thought, but it's also more of a personal letter from Paul to Timothy. He still deals with some of the issues of the false teachers, but the words and the exhortations are more personal. Uh, we see here on our paper the content for 2 Timothy. is Timothy is to remain loyal to Christ, He's to remain loyal to the gospel, and he's to remain loyal to Paul himself. As we will see in the letter, many others had deserted the apostle Paul, but yet Paul is encouraging Timothy to stay faithful to him as well. Uh, Paul is actually in chains. He is in prison at this time. Uh, Even though he's in prison, we don't count it as a prison epistles, such as Colossians, but we consider it a pastoral epistle because of its pastoral tone in nature. Uh, Timothy is the primary recipient, although there are many things that can be said to the church through this letter. The occasion, again, is Paul has been arrested, he has been taken to Rome. Paul knows his time is short. And this letter urges Timothy to come to Paul's side. Paul wants Timothy to come and visit him. And really this letter being one of Paul's last letters that we have offers Timothy kind of a last will and testament, spiritually speaking, from Paul to Timothy, his son in the faith. Many of the emphasis in the book is the saving work of Jesus Christ. That's always a central focus in Paul's letters loyalty to Christ by persevering through suffering is a big part. Loyalty to Paul because of their long-time relationship, loyalty to the gospel because that is what saves people, and faithfulness to preaching and teaching, proclaiming the gospel and teaching sound doctrine is an emphasis in 2 Timothy. And also, words against the spreading of false teaching by these false teachers. As kind of an overview to 2 Timothy, this is Paul's final letter. Its primary purpose was to urge Timothy to join Paul in Rome as quickly as he can. Paul gives Timothy some instructions, like to bring along Mark with him to bring some personal items to Paul when he comes. Timothy will be replaced by Tycheus at the church at Ephesus, as Tycheus is probably the bearer of the letter. He will bring the letter to Timothy, and then Timothy will in turn go to Rome to be with Paul. Uh, the reason that Paul is encouraging Timothy to come quickly unto him is because winter is coming, the onset of of winter and the fact that Paul's preliminary court hearing has already taken place the majority of the letters very much an appeal to Timothy to remain loyal to Paul and his gospel by embracing the suffering and the hardship as we have spoken of a few minutes ago the context of continuing influence of the false teachers the defection of many people away from the gospel and many people away from Paul And then Paul's expected execution. The body of the letter is comprised of three major appeals that we will see as we get into the letter. Some specific advice for reading 2 Timothy. Uh, The letter is certainly pastoral in nature. It probably has a more personal tone than 1 Timothy did. Uh, Because Paul is concerned for Timothy personally. Um, Timothy is not the first letter that we have while Paul was chained. We went through all of the prison epistles. But in contrast to the other prison epistles, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, Paul expected to be released from prison when he wrote those letters. However, Paul expects to be martyred. Paul says, The time of my departure is at hand. But yet Paul does not despair facing death, because hardship is simply a part of the package that Paul signed up for. And in the end, he emphasizes Christ's triumph over death, and how Christ brings life and the promise of life eternal. There's a long section condemning the false teachers in chapters 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, but yet with the condemnation of the false teachers, there are words of hope for the true believers. It says, the Lord knows those who are His. It substantiates what we learned about the false teachers from 1 Timothy. They are quick to quarrel over words. They have wandered away from the truth Uh, Some have argued that the resurrection has already taken place. Uh, They had noteworthy success among gullible women, going back to the women issue in 1 Timothy. And because of the qualifications of leaders, it also bears out in 2 Timothy that their lifestyle of the false teachers does not conform to the gospel. So it reemphasizes some of the things that we see in the false teachers in 1 Timothy. So let's, that was our brief introduction to 2 Timothy, and we'll see all of those themes played out here. So let's jump right into our text as we go to chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 again begins with an introduction, much like uh, 1 Timothy did. Paul describes himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And then he adds here a phrase that's often overlooked, but Is very significant in the scheme of things. It says, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. It's amazing how Paul is emphasizing the life that we have in Christ while he's facing death. Because Paul understands that this life is not the end, that God is faithful in this life, and even should he face martyrdom in life, and eventually die, that God gives us eternal life. And that's a theme that will flow throughout the book. We also see here in verse number two of 1 Timothy 1, he addresses it to Timothy, my dear son, again emphasizing the closeness of the relationship that Paul has to Timothy. Looking at verses three through five, we have what We have in 2 Timothy what was really missing from 1 Timothy, and that is a thanksgiving, which is in many of Paul's letters, but 1 Timothy kind of gets right down to business. This letter has a thanksgiving. And we find here of Paul giving thanks for Timothy, constantly remembering Timothy in his prayers. Then you see in verse number 4, I long to see you. So there we see Paul's heart come through these letters. Paul is saying, I remember you, I thank God for you, I pray for you, and I long to see you. And in this remembering of Timothy, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, verse number five. And this faith that is exemplary, that is in Timothy, is a lineage of faith that we see. Paul makes known that this faith that Timothy has lived first in his grandmother, Lois, and then in his mother, Eunice. And Paul says, I'm persuaded that now lives in you also. So we see Paul recalling Timothy's faith that began with his grandmother and mother, that came before him. So this gives us, you know, more of a personal greeting and thanksgiving in 2 Timothy than we see in 1 Timothy. As we come to chapter 1 verse 6, going all the way through chapter 2 verse 13, this is our first appeal, Paul's first appeal to Timothy in this letter. And this appeal is to follow his calling and to remain faithful to God, to remain faithful to the gospel, faithful to His calling, and faithful to the apostle Paul. We find on our paper here under Walkthrough, the first appeal sets the tone for the whole. It is basically twofold for Timothy to number one, join Paul in suffering for the gospel. And number two, to guard what has been entrusted to. Timothy. The basis of this appeal is the work of the Spirit. The basis of this appeal is to Christ and the gospel. And it's also Paul's very own example. So let's read here uh, some in verses, number beginning in verse number 6. Paul reminds him of his calling and the gifts that Timothy has. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Obviously, when he was commissioned to go into the gospel ministry. He says, for the spirit of God does not make us timid. It does not give us a spirit of fear, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline or a sound mind. He says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. So he tells Timothy to fan the flame of the gift, to, to live and minister boldly, not timidly. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. It would not have Timothy here to minister, especially in light of the false teachers, to be timid. Because these false teachers are not timid. So Timothy should not be timid. Either So he encourages him not to be timid because to rely on God's love and power and sound mind. And then he encourages him in verse 8 to not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. And then Paul issues a very interesting invitation. You know, when we uh, have church services and we issue invitation, this is not usually an invitation that we offer But in voice number eight, he says, Do not be ashamed of me, the prisoner of the Lord. He says, Rather, join with me in suffering. And this is the first time of several times that he will say this. Join with me in suffering for the gospel. Because as we said to Paul, it's just part of the package. Living for Christ equals suffering. He goes on to say that God has saved us and called us to a holy life. Again, God's saving and calling was not because of anything we had done, but by His purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. God had already given us grace. But now it has been revealed... Through Jesus Christ, he adds, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's why Paul does not despair in dying, because Jesus has defeated death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul adds in verse number 11 that this gospel, that he was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and that's the reason why he is suffering. He says, yet this is no cause for shame, because I know who I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. That's Paul's faith. Even facing persecution, even facing death, Itself, he is not ashamed, and that is not a cause for shame. Paul says, I know who I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted unto him. So we see here Paul's appeal to Timothy by using himself as an example. The appeal here will be set in contrast to those who had not been loyal to Paul versus those who were loyal to Paul. In verse number 15, Paul says, Know that you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. Everyone deserted Paul, except one. He said, May the Lord show mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, because he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. And he was in Rome and searched for me until he found me. So Onesiphorus here, we find, was loyal to Paul. And it's the same loyalty that Paul is calling Timothy to. As we enter into chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, a new twist To the appeal is renewed. Timothy must entrust to others what has been entrusted to him. After a series of analogies, emphasizing loyalty, single-mindedness, expectation of final reward, Paul reinforces the appeal by reminding Timothy of Christ and of Paul himself, concluding with a trustworthy saying that emphasizes. God's faithfulness so we see here played out in the first 13 verses of chapter 2 still in the first appeal remember he appealed uh, to Timothy to be faithful to his calling and to join with Paul in suffering to be faithful to Paul be loyal to Paul unlike all the others that left him now we find the appeal here that he must entrust others with what was entrusted to him He says, verse 2, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Then he adds the invitation again, join with me in suffering. So notice there's four levels of communication You have the Apostle Paul who taught, and these things he taught to Timothy. And Timothy is now in turn to entrust them and teach them to reliable people who will in turn go and teach others also. That's how discipleship is formed, and that is laid out. Then he uses a series of analogies, as we saw, He uses the analogy of a soldier getting entangled in civilian affairs, verse number four. Verse number five, the analogy of an athlete competing in a race to win the victor's crown. And then he goes back to verse number eight, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, being chained like a criminal, he says, But then he adds, even though I'm chained, God's word is not chained. He says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain salvation in Jesus Christ. And then he ends with words about God's faithfulness. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself, God's faithfulness. So this makes up the first appeal. The first part of, the, of chapter 1, verses 6 through verse 13 and 14. And then verses 15 through 18, talking about those who left Paul to be loyal to his calling, to be loyal to Paul, and then to be loyal, Christ and the mission and what he has been entrusted with in terms of God's people. And ending it with God is faithful. As we move into verse 14 of chapter 2, we find this second appeal. And the second appeal has to do with the false teachers. And the second appeal will begin in verse 14 of chapter 2 and go down through chapter 3, verse number 9. We find here in verse number 14, Paul says to Timothy, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them against quarreling about words. That's a takeover from 1 Timothy. He says, these things have no value. Then he says, do your best to present yourself to God. As one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, one who correctly handles the word of truth. So just as in 1 Timothy, Paul encourages Timothy, it's important how you live your life in front of these false teachers, in front of the other members of the church at Ephesus. The false teachers are living this way. It's important that you live God's way. They're using these words. It's important you use These godly words, they are are leading people astray by their actions and their words. You are to remain faithful and lead people astray by your lifestyle. They are teaching false doctrine. You are to have sound doctrine. So he's continuing that theme of this, the false teachers and how Timothy should be separate and separated so that others can see a difference in his life. So he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, one who correctly handles the word of truth. He encourages him to avoid godless chatter in verse 16. He says, because those who engage in this will become more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene, he says here. And he gives the example of those who had already departed from the truth by teaching false doctrine. He says in verse number 19, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, and the Lord knows who are His. The Lord knows who are His, or who His are. So there are those who are teaching false teaching and leading people astray. Those are not the Lord's people. They're not the Lord's teachers and prophets. The Lord knows those who are His. And then he adds, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness to not be like the false teachers. And he goes on to use the example here of of an analogy, that he must cleanse himself and the church before emphasizing the need for a gentle spirit, even in dealing with his opponents. So he talks about in verse 21, those who cleanse themselves... Will be instruments for special purposes, made holy and useful to the master and prepared to do good work. So he's saying he himself must be cleansed in order for God to use him in ways opposed to the false teachers. He tells them in verse 22: Flee the evil desires of your youth and to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. If you remember, In the first letter that Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Do not let anyone despise your youth, but be an example in love and faith and charity. One way that he does this is by fleeing the youthful desires and passions and to pursue after righteousness. He says in verse 23, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, for they produce quarrels. For the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Able to teach and not resentful. So again, he's setting, he's encouraging Timothy to live better than those who are teaching false doctrine. He says in verse 25, opponents must be gently instructed in hope that God would grant them repentance and that they would come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who he has tried to take them captive. So he says, here's how you deal with your opponents. You don't get in arguments with them. You don't stoop to to their level. You live holier. You live better than they do. Don't be harsh with them, but gently instruct them so that God would eventually save their lives and save their souls. And then he goes into chapter 3. He says, but mark this, that there will be terrible times in the last days. And again, Paul, like we mentioned in the previous letter, Paul is not speaking in the terms of last days as thousands of years into the future. Paul is talking about the days that they are living in and how things would get worse in their day. And this is what Timothy should be looking out for. He says, people be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents ungrateful, and holy without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, treacherous. rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power. And he tells Timothy, have nothing to do with such people. So that shows us that there were such people in their days and that this is what Timothy should be on the lookout for and he should have nothing to do with those people. He says, they are the kind who worm their way into homes. And gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, again, he's, he's talking about these false teachers of, of terrible character who are leading people down a dangerous road. And he tells Timothy to don't have anything to do with them. So we see here, he gets a little more specific um, about the situation of that day when he talks about they're worming their ways into people's homes, they're gaining control over gullible women, which goes back to the, the women issue and t- women teaching uh, here in the church. As we saw last week, there was a reason that Paul told them not to do that. And it's because these false teachers were leading women astray and leading them into all kinds of evil, not the truth. Then he gives the example of uh, those here that, uh, you know, the Egyptian sorcerers uh, back in Genesis, uh, he, he equates those two together. So he ends this, but they will not get very far because their folly will be clear to everyone, that God will ultimately expose them. So the first appeal was to faithfulness, to his calling, Timothy's calling, faithfulness to Paul himself, uh, and then faithfulness to the gospel. Here we have the second appeal, which is to the false teachers. Beginning in chapter 3, verse 10, going down through chapter 4, verse 18, or verse 8, we have the final appeal. The first appeal focused primarily on Christ and the gospel. This appeal focuses primarily on Timothy's long relationship to Paul and Paul's own modeling of the gospel. These two passages, chapter 3, 10 through 13, and chapter 4, 6 through 8, sandwich the appeal itself, first to Timothy's own past and then to Timothy's ministry. So we find here in verse 10 of chapter 3, a final charge to Timothy. You, however, know all about my teaching. My way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. You see, Paul himself even sets himself against the false teachers. Because he talks about there will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive. Those are the the characteristics of the false prophets. Paul says, but you've known my way of life, purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. So he's setting himself apart. And he's saying, Timothy, you know me. He says, you know the persecutions and the sufferings, everything that happened to me in my past. He said, but the Lord delivered me from them all. And he says, everyone, verse 12, who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And he says, evildoers will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He says, but you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and you've become convinced of. He goes on to say, because you've known the Scriptures from a child and they've led you to salvation. And therefore, it's by the Scriptures that you were saved. It's by the Scriptures that I was saved. He says, and all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if you remember, and, and the Scriptures in that time you know, was probably referring to the Old Testament scriptures because the New Testament scriptures were already being written. There was no New Testament at this time. If you remember going back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, the false teachers desired to teach the law. They desired to be teachers of the law, but yet they were false teachers of it. And what does the Old Testament scripture primarily do for those in the church? It reveals Christ. It reveals Christ. It brings us unto Christ. So Timothy was to, you know, notice that the Scriptures is good for teaching, rebuke, and training, and instruction in righteousness by leading us and showing us Christ. The Old Testament is full of types and shadows of of Christ. So he gives Timothy this charge in chapter 4. At the end of verse 1, he says, I give you this charge. Verse 2, he says, preach the word be prepared in season and out of season correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come and indeed was where people will not put up with sound doctrine like these false teachers are not teaching sound doctrine and he says the more that they'll the more people don't know the word of god and the more they hear false teaching the more they will want to hear false teaching he goes on to say the time will come when People will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around a great number of teachers and what they're itching that will say what their itching ears want to hear. He says, they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to myths. But you, he says, keep your head in all situations. You stay focused on what is true. You endure hardship. You do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Of your ministry. So he appeals to Timothy to be faithful to the Word of God. And then in verse number 6, we find here kind of the, the ending of this charge where Paul speaks of his own current situation. When he says, For I am ready to be poured out like a drink offering. For the time of my departure, the time of his death, is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And he says, There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. So he says, I'll receive my reward when I've been poured out and I have departed. So unlike previous prison epistles where Paul is expecting to be released here, Paul is expecting his death, his departure. And then in verse number 9 through verse number 18, we see really the, the, the heart or the first reason, the reason for the letter. And the reason for the letter is Paul is requesting Timothy to come to him. So he says in verse number 9 of chapter 4, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas has deserted me, and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. He says, only Luke is with me. He says, get Mark and bring him with you, because he's helpful to me in the ministry. He says, I sent Tychius to Ephesus. When you come to me, and he's giving Timothy these instructions, when you come to me, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Bring my scrolls, especially the parchments. He warns him in verse 14 of Alexander. He says, be on guard against him. He says in verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. He says, may it not be held against them. Then he says, though everybody deserted me, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. So that through me the message would be proclaimed fully and all the Gentiles would hear. As I was delivered from the lion's mouth, at his first defense he was delivered. He says, and the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely. This time not out of prison, but he says, he will rescue me and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. And he says, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So you see Paul's heart. He's not in despair. He knows the time of his departure is at hand. He knows everybody else has left him, but he knew that the Lord was with him. And even though he'd been delivered before from prison, he was going to be delivered differently this time. He would be delivered, not back into the world, but be delivered into the heavenly kingdom. And for that, for God's faithfulness in suffering and persecution, in God's faithfulness in life and death, he says, to him be glory. Then in verses 19 through 22, we have some final greetings where he greets Priscilla and Aquila Onesiphorus, Erastus and Corinth and more. And then in verse 21, he encourages Timothy in his coming quickly. He says, do your best to get here before winter. And he ends in verse 22, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you all. So again, you can see that this letter has a different tone than the first letter. It has a different tone because of Paul's personal situation, that Paul's life is coming to an end, that he will be martyred. And it has a personal tone because to me, there's more personal words to Timothy as well. And all in all, we see at the bottom of our paper With this letter, Paul's role in the biblical story comes to an end. Even though we have two more letters we'll look at tomorrow, I mean, next week, Paul's biblical story comes to an end here. Since we are so much in his debt, we would do well to heed carefully the appeals to loyalty in this letter loyalty to Jesus, loyalty to the gospel. Loyalty to our calling and loyalty to the words of men like the Apostle Paul who left us these inspired letters that we may receive and apply them in our lives and live faithfully as we run our race, to live faithfully as we are running on our course and to live faithfully until the day that our race is over. God bless you.